radio for the Agile community, www.agile.fm. tuning in into another episode of Agile FM and today I'm here with Pavel Gabritsky from Think Agile and he is an Agile coach and trainer in Johannesburg. Uh, he was originally born in uh, Belarus and uh, he is passionate about coaching, psychology, financial models and uh, that's exactly what I want to talk about uh, here today with him. Welcome to the podcast, Pavel. Oh, thank you very much, and I'm excited to be part of it. All right, awesome. Let's jump right into this. Um, I want to talk about these two topics with you, but before we go there, uh, what's very interesting about your, uh, let's say, career path is that you were born in Belarus, and you grew up there, it's my understanding, and then you moved to uh, Johannesburg. But on your LinkedIn profile, there is actually something, you know, and please forgive my innocence here, but there's a language you speak that is Bel Belarusian. Yes, yes. Well, so... Belarus is a you know is a country in Eastern Europe. Mm -hmm. Not not many people know about it, and you know today maybe it's a good thing, right? <laughs> um, so yeah, so it's one of the former Soviet Union republics. Mm -hmm. uh, you know when um, when Soviet Union dissolved, mm -hmm. this new fifteen states were formed, including things like you know uh, Ukraine, Russia, Belarus, right. Latvia, Lithuania. So. So I'm from one of those countries. Mm -hmm. um, so it's a it's independent country. Um, we do speak Belarusian and we speak Russian as well. How, how are um, these How are these languages different? I'm just curious. Belarusian. I knew about the country, but that you um, that there is another language. How is this different? Is this a dialect or is this a completely different language? Right. It's, it's a completely different language, but they all from the same family. Um, mm -hmm. So the closest languages are Ukrainian and Russian. Okay. Uh, yeah, and in fact, you know, because I speak Russian and I speak Belarusian, it's quite easy for me to understand Ukrainian. Um, in terms of how how close they are, so it's definitely not a dialect. Um, so it's often, that, yeah. some someone who just speaks one language, for example, someone from Moscow, or St. Petersburg, they wouldn't necessarily understand Belarusian or Ukrainian. Mm -hmm. But if you know two of them, then uh, then it's quite easy. So it's so when I when I talk about the languages, I often bring the example of Dutch and Afrikaans. Afrikaans mm -hmm. is one of the languages in South Africa. Um, they're very similar, and you would probably understand the other person, but you wouldn't be able to write a book in this language. Right. Right? <laughs> All right. So very diverse, and uh, maybe maybe listeners have learned something about that uh, part of the world as well by tuning into Agile FM. But. Then you moved to uh, Johannesburg, South Africa, for weather and possibly other reasons. And uh, you started a company or work in a company called Think Agile. You were in, uh, a scrum trainer, certified scrum trainer with the Scrum Alliance. And um, how is the agile scene in South Africa? Me from being from New York, I'm, I don't have too many insights. But if you had to make a comparison to the US or Europe, um, what do you see down here in South Africa? Yeah, so South Africa was was the country where I first got introduced to Agile. Um, so I was a developer when I moved in. Um, so the, I actually didn't move to, to Johannesburg. I moved to Cape Town first, um, and I spent four years there before moving to Johannesburg. Um, I joined a company 
which was doing Agile at that time, specifically Scrum. And as you know, uh, as a person new to that, as a developer, they set me through an introduction to, to Scrum. It was about two hours. And at the end of it, I was like, well, does it actually work? So, <laughs> you know, <laughs> so I was like, it surely doesn't work. How can you estimate in story points and uh, how people can easily inflate it? So um, that was an interesting experience for me to, to get introduced specifically in South Africa. But mm -hmm. to your question, um, how different is that or, you know, how advanced is that compared to the to other markets? Um, I think maybe it's a few years behind, but we we still we still have a very strong community. We have two big conference conferences and mm -hmm. we usually attract anything between three to five hundred people for those conferences. Um, so for example in twenty seventeen, the Agile twenty seventeen, we had um, eight speakers from South Africa coming and presenting um, in Orlando. So I think your know, community definitely is one of the stronger ones right. in the world. Mm -hmm. It's probably similar to the level of Australia. Um, okay. Yeah, so I think the leading markets are the UK and the US, mm -hmm. uh, but we're not that far behind. Okay, well, interesting. Okay. Um, you just mentioned something about story points, and I wanted to dive into uh, one of the two topics I uh, mentioned earlier, um, the financial models, right? You seem to be very interested in um, uh, these kind of things. You presented uh, in 2016 at the Agile Conference about this topic. And one of the things uh, that... Um, uh, really uh, became clear to me when you, <laughs> that sentence or that question uh, I saw was, how much does a story point cost? How much does a story point cost? And do people actually put a price tag on uh, something called story points? You just mentioned inflation. Just want to see how that all works out. Yeah, so, uh, that's that's an interesting topic. Um, and in terms of story points, I think as many trainers in the world, as, as many opinions about story points and using them and is it a good thing or a bad thing. Now, in, in my talk in 2016, I was specifically interested um, in using story points to make um, the life of accountants a little bit easier, right? Mm -hmm. So it's an interesting question you ask, well, how much you know, story point costs or can we, can we assign a monetary value mm -hmm. to a story point and is it, you know, what might it and kind of is, does it have any positive or negative effect to that? So in terms of align, uh, aligning um, incentives to story points, I think it's quite a dangerous thing, right? Because then it drives very uh, wrong behavior and you can have story point inflation, right? Because you're just driving story points. Mm -hmm. But in my talk, I was specifically talking about using story points retrospectively, so not incentives are future oriented, right? And, but you can use them retrospectively to capitalize software, all right? Um, there, is, there is an existing framework um, in something called IFRS and GAAP. IFRS is International Financial Reporting Standards, and GAAP is Generally Accepted Accounting Principles, um, saying if you have an asset, which software is, is in a way is an intangible asset, mm -hmm. um, then uh, you're not supposed to expense, you're not supposed to write off all the costs in one year, but you're supposed to distribute it across multiple years. 
right. of when the software is actually used. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just generally so you can have adequate financial statements. You don't have minus a hundred million dollars in one year and then right uh, right so, right, so distributed that's, over the years yeah so that's what um, that's what accountants want to do and for that for that purpose accountants love capitalizing assets as they've been developed but the the, the challenge with the challenge with uh, you know software development in agile is those moments in time uh, where the capitalization starts and when it finishes, right? It's a little bit blurred. Previously, if you look at waterfall, that concept evaluation, analysis, those are all the activities which are not capitalized because those are called research and development right. activities. So mm-hmm. you're not sure yet if the software is going to be created or if it's going to be used. So there's actually a checklist of all the things which you know need to be in place to show feasibility of software, to show mm-hmm. um, if if uh, management's got approval, if you have money, if you can make money out of it, or if you if mm-hmm. you can get a benefit out of it, um, and it's quite clear, it's quite easy for to do it in in the waterfall project, saying you know okay when when this phase finishes, then we can start capitalizing software, but the moment it hits production, we stop capitalizing software. And we start expensing everything else as an operating expense because right. you also need to do maintenance, right? But if you look at Agile, we're saying, okay, so spend a few weeks on starting up a project and then and then you go and you try to release and deliver every sprint or, you know, every few mm-hmm. sprints or even multiple times a sprint. So there's actually no two points in time where you can say, okay, I'm starting capitalization and I'm finishing the capitalization process. Right. So that's a big challenge. And as you, you you know, we were talking about story points, but there's another way. So there's another way to to figure out what type of activities to capitalize and what type of activities not not to capitalize. And story points kind of gives us a nice way into that. So, um, for example, in your sprint, in your sprint backlog, you might have user stories building functionality, but you also might have more technical product backlog items or even bug fixes. Mm -hmm. And technical product backlog items or bug fixes um, are more of an operational expense, right? So so you you actually just need to figure out how many of your points per sprint um, are spent developing new features versus how many of of the points per sprint developed, you know, doing this technical maintenance activities, and then you figuring out total cost of a sprint, and you figure out how much of it is actually going into, uh, in, right. you know, being an asset in your in your books, right. in, in your accounting books. So that that that's one of the topics. Sounds might sound a little bit complicated, but once people see the model, once they understand it, they're like, oh, thanks so much because because <laughs> it makes everyone's life, even you know. Developers' life, management's <laughs> life, and even accountants—you know—accountants' life is also much easier because they don't need to stress about, you know, about figuring out all these crazy calculations right. and frameworks. Yeah. But in your in your description of your talk, you actually say there is no accounting degree necessary, and I think you just did an awesome job of explaining that for people who do not have an accounting degree. Very easy, <laughs> very easy. So, but there, there is definitely an effort. I don't know if you would agree with that. Of um, 
uh, inflation of story points, right? Coaching on a on a team level um, that you know if you have a financial model associated with story points for capitalization, that the that there is no inflation, right? You really need to coach this uh, quite nicely. Yeah. So so it's, once again, it's how do you how do you incentivize your people and what mm-hmm. drives them? And so those those type of methods are, I suggest um, they are more of a you know how do I make everyone's life better, not how do I get more out of my developers or how do how do I you know trying to make people you know treat mm-hmm. people into working hard because right. I think as as a coach you realize well you cannot trick people into into doing something you can only maybe work around motivation, right? So motivate, get people excited, get mm-hmm. people motivated, help them to build insights into how to be more effective, right? Mm-hmm. Help, help, help them to be more reflective. Um, okay. You know, to work, yes. Yeah. You have another interesting uh, associated financial models before we go on to the other topic here. You have another thing which really um, uh, popped out here for me, and that is a transparent financial governance. Does something like that even exist? I, I want to be honest with you. Uh, is um, how and how does that how does that look like um, in in the in the way of financial models, the governance, financials? As he just said, accounting. Very often, it's behind the scenes, right? And uh, transparency to to what? I just I want I wanted to see if that is a a topic uh, you had in your talk, or if that is something you feel like needs exploring within the industry. Well, that's that's an interesting kind of angle to look at that, right? Yeah. Um, so how do you, you know, how do you bring your governance to be transparent, and and why is it not transparent in the first place, right? Exactly. Because because I think the whole point of governance is to bring transparency to your organizational processes, right? Exactly. Yeah. Um, and I think the challenge with governance, uh, as it is right now, is that it almost like a, a, a function in the organization, which is outsourced to, to just a group of people. And and generally, it's almost like this group of people being on offense and everyone for the rest of the organization being on defense. Mm-hmm. And to me, and as I was mentioning earlier, is, is all bring, about the bringing those different groups of people together so they, they can create those win-win situations for each other. So they're making each other's life easier, right? Rather than making each other's life more difficult, mm-hmm. right? And that's kind of, that's the that's the reputation governance people um, receive in, in today's corporate world, saying, you know, governance is something we have to do, is something which is arbitrary, something which is not useful to my project. But if you think why it was put in the first place is to allow the shareholders of this company to have stronger control mm-hmm. and supervision of you know companies processes and decision making right so i think the solution to that is is through facilitation and facilitating all sorts of different conversations between different groups of people in an organization and getting them to talk to each other and collaborate and and solve those type of challenges and 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 kind of bring creativity in those type of 
mm-hmm. processes, which sometimes feel like stale processes, right? People right. say this governance framework was there for 30 years or 50 years, or this we've been doing it for so many years, we we even forgot why, why we put it <laughs> That's in the first right. place. Oh, yeah, very often, yeah. Yes. Does that does that impact also procurement? I'm not sure you don't spell it out uh, as a as something special, but I'm just curious um, if these procurement processes are also impacted by your models as well as by that kind of uh, transparency. Yeah, that procurement is very. Int- I have a story for, uh, on that. I was working with one of financial institutions in South Africa, one of the biggest banks, and um, uh, at some point, software teams find they're restricted by the infrastructure requirements, right? They're saying, well, we're ready to ship the software, but we don't have our infrastructure, so we don't actually have any servers to to put our code onto, right? Mm-hmm. And so that, that particular company at some point had to go back to every single vendor of infrastructure and say, guys, we're doing agile, we, um, we need to be faster, um, this is our new requirement, right? So we need to be able to assemble, uh, you know, create a virtual machine and spin it off in that amount of time. And it was matter of days, not matter of weeks. Before that, it was six to eight weeks to procure something. And 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 they also said, "Are you ready for us to work? Continue to work together? Because if you're not, we will keep on searching and looking." And 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 I think it was a harsh question to ask your you know your vendors your procurement, but that's um, some sometimes that that's what's needed, right? To right. have a you know to say, well, we're working together, but we we are we need to continue working together, and we need to continue challenge each other. So so because it's not about software anymore, right? Mm-hmm. So Agile is, is not about software anymore. And even at the conference uh, I went recently, Agile 2017, um, a lot of conversations were about business agility, right? So it's Agile, uh, Agile outside of business and, right. and agility of business holistically, right? So doing end-to-end, not just doing a software part of it. Mm. Because well, if, you're yeah. Abs- yeah, you're absolutely right, right? But the procurement part is like uh, very often it's the first step when companies, agile companies, make contact with a non-agile company to take over their transformation and start working with that organization. And, and that's where those contracts and uh, uh, agreements are being put into place uh, way before an, an education took place. So it's a very challenging topic, I would assume, right? Um, to have these kind of procurement processes uh, changed before even uh, transformations take place. Yes, and and those contracts and those service level agreements uh, are generally longer lived. So mm-hmm. um, so you usually have an existing contract and existing model, uh, contracting model in terms of how to pay your vendors, mm-hmm. all right? Um, and you, you usually have a set of preferred vendors and then Agile comes and says, well, okay, we don't work really well with this type of contract. We need to renegotiate the contracts. And and there's an obvious resistance from, from people, yeah. from procurement, from people in procurement, because that means, oh, I need to do more work, right? So because I had all these nice contracts and now I need to renegotiate the contracts. I need to get lawyers in to, to draft the new uh, new contracts because those are all templates, right? So if you have one set of templates, you reuse them, 
and we ask an organization to create new sets of templates. But it's also scary for vendors because, well, we we went through the sales cycle, we've got the contracts in place, and now you're telling us that you want to get out of them. Mm -hmm. So that's an interesting challenge um, the companies actually face. All right. Oh, awesome. I, I wanted to explore both topics here you, you're passionate about, and uh, I feel like let's switch over to the other one. I know this is a, uh, a big transition here to the psychology of coaching. And um, I saw you actually in, in New York City, and you were talking about this topic. Um, but obviously, listeners of this podcast might not have heard you or seen you in, in action. And um, one of the things uh, you say is that um, it takes a, a good chunk of time. Um, this is not I'm not uh, phrasing you a statement here from you, but it takes a good chunk of time to become an, an agile coach. It doesn't come overnight. Why is that? Yeah. So, so first of all, um, I'm I'm a bit disappointed with with the way we define coaching in in agile community. And so generally, what I see the trend is Scrum Master is not cool anymore, right? So it's not cool to be a Scrum Master, and everyone wants to be an agile coach mm. and no one not maybe not no one but a lot of people um, do not really understand what's the difference between a scrum master and agile coach and to many of us in the community agile coach um, is just you know an uber scrum master is someone who's just a little bit more experienced as a scrum master in fact that that was my thinking when i first transitioned to agile coaching um, I was like, hey, well, agile coaching is going to get me 20% more money, right? Mm -hmm. So you, you better be one. Um, and it took me, you know, some time. It's, you know, I went on my own journey understanding, well, what coaching is not, right? Coaching is not expert. Coach is not expert. So coaching is not sharing your expertise and mentoring. Coaching is not consulting, right? It's a, mm -hmm. it's a very special skill. And a lot of it is is to do is to do with facilitated development. So you need to be skilled at facilitating someone else's um, development. So it's a very unrewarding, probably mm -hmm. post-heroic role <laughs> where you don't get any uh, recognition for your job. The person who you help to develop, right, the person who who experiences the growth, they will get all the praise mm -hmm. and and that what takes a long time arriving at this mindset arriving at these conclusions that coaching is you know is a post-heroic skill so it's coaching is not being being an expert not being the one to save the world but mm -hmm. but helping other people achieve their best right it's kind of ironic right because this word scrum master really has the word master in it right so uh mm -hmm compared to an agile coach. Um, I agree I agree with your assessment. There are some people who see that as in a career path. I, I don't think that way. I think we share that, but um, there is there's definitely, it's a, it's a strong word if you think about it, but it has become blurry in organizations uh, because we're using the term all the time. Um, well, here's something I recently saw on, on television. Somebody actually uh, activated a uh, their brains in, just before a, a sport event. They wanted to become really alert, and uh, the person actually activated their brain um, just get into into action by licking a nine volt battery, and uh, that was that person's secret. Um, you actually say um, 
that with some of those um, psychology of coaching, um, that we can actually stimulate the brain's creativity, not only activating it, but creativity. Um, what's that all about? All right. Yeah, so um, often, and, and as part of that, uh, that particular talk, I talk about um, psychological needs and motivation. All right. So often the way we, we approach some improvements or goals uh, is we shame ourselves into, you know, into being better, right? It's always in a critic or someone, you know, it's external regulation. Someone tells us what we need to do, all right? And often, uh, because the change takes a long time, uh, my clients need a high level of, of motivation, right? Something which is linked to, to inner values or something which becomes part of, it, of the value system of that person. Mm-hmm. Right. So and so, how do you get there? So you can't get there by person thinking in the same way uh, as they created the problem for themselves, right? So as they arrive at the situation, this problem or this challenge, you have to get them thinking somehow different, right? You get to activate a different part of a brain, mm-hmm. and and I'm not saying oh well. If, uh, I'm not saying we have to, you know, maybe stop thinking rationally and problem solving and start being creative. Uh, I'm, I'm just saying, if you are a creative person, maybe try to have more rational reasoning. If you are a rational person, what does your reflection, what does reflective part of your brain thinks? And so it's all about different states of your brain. And it has been a lot of research has been done and um, on that topic already, and a lot of different brain activation states. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's what coaches do. They, they they try to activate a different part of your brain, so you, it's almost like a different window to mm-hmm. your brain, to your soul, where you can actually realize or have. You, you know, the true impact or the value of your of your goal improvement and create a, a, a more innovative way of solving it or mm-hmm. create a, a better motivation for yourself to 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 tackle the problem so mm-hmm. so that so that's why creativity is important and many coaches generate creativity in different uh, using different tools uh, for, for example at one of the conference conferences uh, uh, a person came to me and said, well, but what about the state of flow? Can I use a state of flow in, um, in my coaching sessions? And I said, absolutely, as, as long as it helps your client generate insights and, and create an action plan and actually implement the change. Um, people do drawings. People, uh, some of my clients respond really well to illustrating you know, their challenges, right. or illustrating themselves. And some don't like it, so then you know I don't do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's I think that's the tricky part is to to get to that particular tool or technique for your client, which which helps them to to really activate their creative brain. Mm-hmm. So you're saying that some of those uh, clients or team members out there, um, they're you know, effective uh, in the usage of, of certain parts of the brain, brain, but uh, they're not unleashing the entire um, spectrum. Um, so basically, that would be a coach's job to find 
these other areas to to unleash creativity. Yeah, absolutely. Very good. I mean, I have a question for you here, Pavel, uh, towards the end of uh, our podcast, and it's like. Um, we talk a lot about motivation. Coaches do motivate. Um, I think very often they brought in uh, to be to be a motivator. But what we often see is that there is short-term uh, motivation, and there are certain tools for that. Um, but how do you establish? Or what are like, your, your tips and tricks uh, for some listeners out there here? How do we motivate long-term? Like yes. uh, an agile project is not a, a two-week endeavor, and sometimes coaches come in early in a project and then and then uh, uh, leave a team while the project is continuing. But how does a, a long-term motivation actually kick in? I think that's very important. All right. Yes, that's that's um, that's really good that you ask me. Um, so generally, the lower level of motivation um, are all about external regulation. Um, it's all about external motivation, uh, saying, well, you'll get some sort of a reward or punishment for doing or not doing a particular task. Mm-hmm. And and we know that, uh, you know, from our childhood, right? So no one wants to wash dishes and, and take the rubbish out. Um, <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. right. Um, but similar things happen in the workplace where or you're only going to get your bonus if you if you deliver the software by the deadline or any sorts of that. My latest is this big agile organization wanted to introduce agile. So they put in everyone performance reviews saying that 30 percent of your spend must be done in agile way. And without people understanding what agile is and so it actually created a stressful environment and it made people hate agile from the beginning without even giving it a chance because oh, yeah. it's now part which is part linked to to reward and punishment the true way of motivating people is to to really link in it to to the value system um, well the one way is to find Agile as being instrumental to something. So for example, I like Agile because Agile teams deliver faster and they have lower attrition rate and generally they're happier. Mm-hmm. So Agile is an instrument, right? Is a tool of getting somewhere and um, which you, you find useful. So the end goal is still attrition rate or the end goal is still faster delivery, but Agile helps you there. That's, that's, a, good, that's a good motivation, right? Mm-hmm. But, um, but sometimes it doesn't work because if you remove that high level of the goal, for example, faster delivery, if you don't need faster delivery anymore, then you don't need Agile anymore. So what's even better is complete integration is where a person understands that Agile is a value system and they align that value system with their own value system. Right. And I'll give you an example of that. Mm-hmm. Um, I do agile, right? Because, or I'm being agile because working in collaborative teams and having everyone being heard is what I am, right? Mm. I like to be heard and I want other people to be part of the conversation. And that's that's what we do agile in the company. So that's that's a complete integration of um, agile Scrum value systems, right? We all talk about agile manifest and Scrum values, 
into your own value system and associating those two together. Right. Oh, wonderful. Thanks for thanks for the example, and I, I think that makes all uh, sense uh, to everybody. And I um, I just feel like uh, we have touched on these two topics, and uh, I hope that uh, the listeners out there got an appetite of uh, your repertoire of, of topics because these are very two different kind of topics here: uh, financial models and the psychology of coaching. Uh, you presented on both of those topics. If um, you know, people got an interest and want to connect with you. Uh, your Twitter handle is Pavel Dabritsky. Uh, that is P-A-V-E-L-D-A-B-R-Y-T-S-K-I. Um, you can just Google his name, even with some spelling errors. I checked that before. Um, your name popped up and people can make a connection with you. I hope everybody out there listening to this podcast had as much fun as I did. Uh, speaking about these two topics with you. I want to thank you, Pavel. And thank you very, very much for having me here. All right. Talk to you soon. And uh, right. I'm sure I'm sure we're going to speak soon at some point um, again about any of these topics. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Agile FM, the radio for the Agile community. I'm your host, Joe Krebs. If you're interested in more programming and additional podcasts, please go to www agile.fm. Talk to you soon.